going to be over in First Corinthians chapter two this morning. First Corinthians chapter two. Uh, we're just going to be right into it, um, looking at what the scripture has to say here. We are um, continuing on with our series in the first three chapters of First Corinthians. Uh, the theme is the unity that we should have, we do have, with the Christians that we have in Christ. That's why we're what we what we're all about. And we're going to look today specifically at a few verses at the last half of chapter 2 on the concept of that the title of the message would be the problem of worldly thinking. The problem of worldly thinking. I was thinking about this when I put that title together. Y'all, y'all ever use the term worldly? Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say worldly? It's like an old-fashioned term, doesn't it? This does to me anyway. But it's one, I don't think y'all know what I'm talking about, do you? Worldly. Y'all live in it so much you don't know what I'm talking about. Now, worldly is that idea of being not the spiritual thinking, worldly thinking, thinking like the world around us. We're going to look at the problem of worldly thinking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 and going down to verse 16. Before we get into that, though, I need to take a moment to pray. I want to ask the Lord to help me. Um, I think it's an important idea, but I, I, I'm going to need some help this morning. So I want to ask him to do that. Would you do that? Pray with me, please. Father, you know where my mind is right now and what's kind of swirling around. And I'm, I want that to be out of my way. I want, I want to, I want you to have me to say to your people. I want your people to hear what your spirit has said to the churches. I pray that that is what they hear. Pray that that's what they think on, and that Lord, use me as you see fit, to hide me behind the cross of the Savior, cover me with the Holy Spirit's power, so that I may actually preach what you want these people to hear. Pray that you'll do that. If you don't, Lord, you kind of go going to the house. But if you do that, I think it'll make a difference to people. I believe that, and I'm asking you to do that in Jesus' name. The verse that keeps popping up in my mind has over the last few weeks in James chapter 1 and verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I don't know about you, but I have experienced instability, I guess is the right word, instability of being double-minded way too much. I'm taken back to the days of my 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 college years. I went to college the first uh, went off for the first time from home went to college at Bob Jones University. Now I don't know if the weight of that means anything to y'all, but you have to understand Bob Jones University is hardly the real world. It's the farthest thing from the real world that ever was. But for me it was my first step into the real world. Again, like I said, it ain't the real world by any stretch of the imagination. But it was my first step. It was that first time I was away from home, first time I was on my own to some extent, and um, I've been very, in, in some good ways, to be fair, but uh, nonetheless, very sheltered, very uh, under, you know, very protected from a lot of things in this world. And one of the things that I had been sheltered from and protected from was um, really getting to know a whole lot of people. My graduating class in high school had three people in it. I was the valedictorian. Uh, so I just really didn't have uh, a lot of people in my class. I didn't know very many people is where I was trying to go with all that. Um, <laughs> you all laugh at me like I'm a smart fellow. But uh, anyhow, 
Um, I did. I had the fortune. I was fortunate enough the summer before I went to college uh, to begin a relationship. Uh, that's, by the way, just a spoiler alert. It blossomed into a marriage, and we've been together for now for 25 years of marriage, and plus however long we were together before that. So at the time, she was my girlfriend. I was starting to date Vanessa that that summer before I went to college. But as I walked onto the campus of Bob Jones University, I think for some reason it something clicked in my brain that I must have been God's gift to the female race. I just thought I was it. I had accomplished everything, and I was what they were all looking for. And uh, I remember when I got there, I got a girlfriend back in Walnut Cove, you got to remember, and I'm all the way down in Greenville, South Carolina, so I go to French class, and there was this girl from Indiana. Vanessa said she was a French girl, but she's not a French girl. She was from Indiana, but in a French class. And we decided to go to, I decided to invite this girl to uh, this on-campus event. They were, they were showing Wizard of Oz. Again, keep an idea what kind of school this was. They were showing the Wizard of Oz, and we were sitting in the, uh, the auditorium there watching that Wizard of Oz. So I invited that girl to go to the French class, uh, from the French class, go to the, the movie with me. We, we did that, enjoyed that, or whatever. But word got back to Vanessa. This is the point of the story. The word got back to Vanessa. And she made it pretty clear. I can't have my cake and eat it too. I had to make a choice, one way or the other. Uh, <laughs> she told me, basically, you, you can't do that, son. You can't do that. I, at that time, again, it probably took me a little longer than I acted like it's just, I mentioned to you now, because it was one decision in one moment in time. But it's, you know, I was young and dumb. I'm now old and dumb, but I was young and dumb at the time. And, and it took me a little time to take that decision and make one decision after the other after the other. But in the long run, I got my mind right on the thing. Put my mind in the right direction. And I'm glad I made the decision I made, which is to be with Vanessa. If I had not made that decision, I would have missed out on a lot. Just to give you a sense of this, again, my message is not about my relationship with my wife, but I want you to understand that the weight of what I'm trying to get across to you if I had made a decision to do something else, I could have, you know, dated all kinds of people, done all kinds of things, gone all kinds of places, but I chose to be with her and to go in that direction. So therefore, I now have a life with a woman that I love, and I'm able to do things that I can't even, I couldn't imagine doing 30 years ago. But I would be doing that. I, I, I have a closeness and an intimacy with a person, well, with, with anybody who I have now. I couldn't imagine having that 30 years ago, but not only that, I have it with this person. And I couldn't imagine my life without her. The rudder of my life through the storms of life has been set straight because I have been with this person who, I'm telling you, if it had been anybody else, I would have, Lord knows what I've been doing, where I'd be going now. There's so many different directions I could have gone, but because of what I have heard, she keeps me straight. to do that way. She keeps me straight. It's not just that life with Vanessa. It's different than life with someone else. It, it clearly would be, right? I mean, if I'd have had a marriage with somebody else or chosen to not get married, any number of things, like my life would have been different, right? We all agree with that. But it's not just that it would be different and it would be different, but it's that those lives, a life with my wife versus any other world that you can imagine, those two things are absolutely at odds with each other. They are exclusive of one another. In other words, 
Because my wedding vow, I don't know how y'all's were, but my wedding vow had a little line in it said, forsaking all others to death do your part. There's this idea that not only are those things different, but they're completely at odds. That sense, that idea that I tried to tell you with my own little personal example is exactly what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthian church. He comes at them, he goes into verse 6 of the text. I want you to, to follow along with me as we go through this. He says in verse 6, he says, How do we speak wisdom according uh, among them that are perfect? He says, I'm coming to you preaching the wisdom, the, the message of the cross. He's preaching it to the people of the cross, those that are perfect, he uses that phrase. And he does that knowing full well that worldly wisdom, in fact, he says there, he says in verse 6, he says, it's not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. He says, I know that the, the, the worldly wisdom, that they have deemed the message that I'm preaching, the people that I'm preaching to, and the preachers who preach that message, and that I know that they say that foolishness, and weak, and worthless. I know that that's what they think. But I think, as he says in verse 4 of, the, of chapter 2, he says that this wisdom, this Message of the cross, it is the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says, I know that what the world says, they reject what I'm preaching, but I know that what I'm preaching is going to change lives. So therefore, Paul has been since the middle of chapter 1, going all the way down to just before our text today, he's launched a full-scale attack on worldly thinking, thinking that to add to or take away from or completely ignore the message of the cross, the message of, the, of, of God. Instead, looking to the prevailing wisdom of the age, what, is, what do our philosophers say? What do our entertainers say? What does our government say? That's what these pushing gets that. As Brother James says in chapter 3 of 18, James 3 18, he says, this wisdom that he's talking about, that Paul's railing against, it does not come from heaven, but it is instead earthly sensual and devilish. It's earthly. It, it's only for this time on this planet. It's got a limit. It's got a end. There's going to come an expiration date for that wisdom. It's sensual. It's driven by the lust of our flesh and of our hearts. And it's devilish. It's inspired by the Father of life. So Paul is distinguishing the, the wisdom of the world. He says there, he talks to you there in verse 6, he says, it's not the wisdom of this world, not what the princes of this world teach, not what they're pushing, but instead, go to verse 7, he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which, that's what he says there, God ordained before the world unto our glory. This is something God came up with way before he even made a man Way before he said, let there be light, he ordained this. This was him. This was from God. So again, like I told you before, it's not just that worldly thinking and God's way of thinking or spiritual thinking. That worldly thinking and spiritual thinking are different. They are different. But they are absolutely, completely at odds with one another. In other words, worldly thinking will cause you, if you pursue it, it will cause you to miss out on the things of God. It will cause you to miss out on what God has for you. And he, Paul, is calling the Corinthian church, and I think because they're our brothers and sisters simply uh, uh, separated by a couple of centuries, he's also calling Ellisboro Baptist Church. 
to spiritual thinking that is given to us by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 8, if you will, follow along with me, verse 8, he says, which, speaking of this wisdom of God, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. One thing you need to know about worldly thinking, and we already see it here in verse 8, is it causes irreparable harm. And because we, we will do things, we will, it will cause us to do things, it will cause us to go down paths that will cause damage to people. It's that worldly thinking, that natural thinking that calls the religious authorities, the political authorities, the Roman and the Jewish government, that calls them to railroad Jesus Christ, nail him unto a cross, punish him with the ultimate punishment of that time, punish him in that way, even though he was guilty of nothing. Just think about that for a minute. Just, just imagine today, you happen because of the position that you got yourself into, your, your work or whatever it was, you're seated, you're the judge in a court case, and you, because of your, using your executive authority, your judicial authority rather, and you decide you're going to deem someone to be guilty, and that person loses their life in the capital punishment case where they are killed because of your sentence. Yet later it comes out that your sentence was unjust because you made a bad decision, one, but you also made it in order to protect yourself, in order to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to have your own authority, to take care of yourself. You did it even though that person was completely innocent of the charges. Now, I don't know about you, but that would destroy me. That would upset me. If I knew that I had called that to someone, I believe right now, as we speak, it's 2,000 years in the past, but I believe that those people that were involved, the names that you would read about in the Gospels that put Jesus on trial, whether they were Jewish or Roman, I believe right now they know exactly what they did, and I believe the weight of it is on their shoulders. Now, I want you to understand something. They were just doing what's natural. That's worldly thinking. But can I also just make sure you understand this? That while I can go back and I can look at people like Caiaphas and, you know, some of these other characters from the Gospels and say, oh, look what he did. He made a mess. There would be no need for Jesus to go to the cross except for my worldly thinking. My Savior hung on a tree, blood coming from his body, dripping to the life came out of him because of my sin. He was crushed. By the Father. Jesus became my Savior because He died on the cross for my sin. So just as guilty as Herod or any of the others, I stand in guilt with the shame on my shoulders as well. So imagine knowing, friends, I'm trying to get you to feel this. Imagine knowing that Jesus died for your sin. And I know as a Christian we say, oh, hallelujah, but do you understand what I just said? Because of your sin, he died. And he says, here, he says, listen, these people did all these things, but if they'd known it, that this would cause it, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done it. And I can tell you, I can think of things right now. If I'd have known what I know now, how much I wouldn't have done. Can y'all testify to that a little bit? If I'd have known what I know now, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what would I have done? You'd have known what you know now. God, we carry around this guilt and this regret and this shame. But look at what he says in verse 9. But as it is written, 
that thou hast not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. What he is getting across here is if you have worldly wisdom, you are going to miss the plans of God. You're going to go down paths and do things that you're going to regret. You're going to do things that you would be sorry for, that you're going to find out later was the wrong decision, and you're going to carry around guilt and shame. But at the same time, don't miss God's plans with your worldly thinking because God has got plans you don't even understand. That those same people that crucified our Lord, those same soldiers that whipped our Lord, those same people that are what most the world might think are good people, and I'm talking about y'all right now, those same people that put Jesus on the cross, God had a plan that we don't even understand. I don't think we understand like we should. You know what his plan was? To love you undeservedly. He had a plan to love you like nobody has ever loved anybody. He had a plan to give you forgiveness for everything you've done wrong. You remember all those woulda, shoulda, couldas? I wish I hadn't have done that. All those things that, oh, I'm so sorry that I did that. You know, all those things that you're carrying around. Jesus died on the cross, and God had a plan for that that you couldn't imagine. And that plan was He was going to forgive you for all those things. He's going to give you hope that even though I know if they find out about it, I'm in trouble. You ever had that feeling? Hope it's not been real recently, but I tell you, I've had that feeling before. Oh my goodness, I don't want anybody to know about this. I feel so bad. There's doom, there's damnation, there's condemnation on the other side. But because Jesus died on the cross, God had a plan to take away that condemnation. Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that love Christ, those that are in Jesus. That's no more condemnation. He's going to take that away. He's got a plan. God has a plan for you in spite of the damage that your natural, fleshly, earthly desires have caused. But if you have that worldly thinking, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss that altogether. You're going to miss what God has planned because He says there, but God has revealed them the things that God has prepared. He's revealed them unto us. This is verse 10 by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, worldly thinking misses what God has planned. We carry around guilt, we carry around shame, we judge ourselves, we judge other people, we hurt people, we blame other people, we limit ourselves to what we can see and what we can taste and what we can feel and what we can do. But God says, I got something bigger than that. You've got to look outside of yourself, and it's the Holy Spirit who reveals to us in verse 10 that what is on his mind. How in the world are we going to know what's on God's mind? Is He going to who we reveal it to us? Well, yeah, He has in His Word. I happen to have a copy of the Bible right here. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you have the mind of God. Now, I understand you need to have the Holy Spirit to help you understand that. The Holy Spirit is going to illuminate that for you. But you're going to have to have Him inside of you, which that only comes because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But the minute that Jesus is your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and you open this book, it comes alive, and we now have the mind of God that we understand what He's given to us. And we have been thinking that can be powered by the Spirit. Thinking that says, I've been forgiven. I don't have to carry that shame and that guilt anymore. Thinking that says, I now can obey God. I can please God. My guilt is gone, and God loves me. That's the kind of thinking we find in this Bible. You're going to see that God has plans for you that are bigger than your ambitions. 
I'm just reminded of that passage over what Jesus says. I can't remember the exact reference for it, but Jesus says essentially that I've done some amazing things on this earth, but greater things than I've done, you're going to do. That's what he says is possible because I have the Holy Spirit revealing to me the mind of God. And I'm able to then deny myself and pick up my cross, willingly do those things because I'm not just worried about the short term pain, but I know that my God has a plan that's bigger than anything else that I can imagine. You have worldly thinking, you'll miss all of that. But if you have spiritual thinking, you will actually see that God has got some plans for you. Worldly thinking also misses intimacy or closeness with God. But look at me in verse 11. He says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? And he's just giving you a logical argument here. He's just essentially saying, how are you going to know what's on somebody's mind unless they tell you? How are you going to know what's on somebody's mind unless you have their mind? You know? I mean, how are you going to know that? How else are you going to know that? And, and, and here's the thing, you know, I can't always believe what you say, right? It's one, some people lie to you. Say, oh, me, or amen, whatever you want to. The people lie to you. They're going to lie to you. Um, and if they don't lie to you, they're not going to tell you everything, right? They're just not going to tell you everything they know. They take some time. You know how you're going to get to know somebody? Yeah, I know y'all know this. You know how you get to know somebody? Spend time with them. You spend time with them. You talk to them, but you watch them. You observe them. And not just five minutes or an hour here or there. You spend time with them. Who do you know the best? Probably somebody you live with. Probably somebody that you've worked with for a long time. Those are the people. Why do you know them? Because you spent time with them. You're close to them. Do you see that? That's how we get to know people. That's how we get to know them. In the same way, that's how we get to know God. Look at what he says there in verse 10. Excuse me, in verse 10. He says, God has revealed these things unto us by the Spirit, for the Spirit gives us all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God has, he has told us this. And of course, we know God's going to be true in what he says. But if you go back to verse uh, uh, 11, he says, you don't, you don't know people unless you know their spirit or what's in their mind. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. I'm trying to get you to see that God's going to be true and we can honestly believe everything he says in his word. The best way to get to know God, the only way it is to get to know a man, spend some time with him, watch him, observe him, get close to him, be intimate and close to him. But see, worldly thinking gets in the way of that. But look what he says in verse 12. He says, Now we have received, he's talking to a church here, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given us of God. He's saying here, he's setting up a contrast in verse 12. He says, We have been given the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. And what does the spirit of God give us? All the things that God has available. One of those things, and there's a whole long list, but I'll give you, just give you three out of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. We've been given the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. That's just one small little precious thing. That's just a little bit. We've been given that. We get, to, we get to know the love of God. We get to have the peace of God, the sound mind. And we get to have the power of God, the confidence that He's involved and He's in charge. We get that. If you get to know God, that's what you get. But on the other hand, he says, we've not been given, verse 12, we've not been given, we've not received the spirit of this world. What's that spirit of the world or that worldly thing? And what does that look like? Well, that same passage, 2 Timothy 1 7 says, it's the spirit of fear. 
In another place, John writes, First John five fifteen, is the spirit of lust and the spirit of pride. Things that are not of the that are of this world that are not of God. Paul says in Second Corinthians four eighteen, the things that are seen. That's the stuff of this world. That's worldly thinking. All of that is to simply say these are two spirits that cannot and do not coexist. You cannot have the spirit of fear and the spirit of love. Perfect love casts it out, drives out fear. You cannot have both of those things at the same time. You cannot have both worldly and spiritual thinking. You must. I will go further and say you will pick a side. You will. And I'm just. I'm going to call on you, church, to pick a side. You're going to do it. You've already done it. So why don't you today make a choice in your heart? Ask the Lord for help to do this. I'm going to choose a side because you will pick a side. You must pick a side. You cannot serve two masters. You must choose you this day whom you will serve. You must pick one of these sides. And either choice is no choice that. As that one fellow said in that movie, I'm with you fellows. It's not a race I can do both sides thing. No, 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 no. You pick a side and you're on one side or the other. You're not on both. James puts it this way, James 4.4. He says, he's talking to church here, and he says, the adulterers and adulteresses. Pretty strong words. Because y'all are cheating on God. Y'all are, y'all are messing around on the Lord. Adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. You cannot be both a friend of God and a friend of the world. You cannot be on the Lord's army and fighting the world's fight. These two spirits do not coexist. Am I making myself clear? You cannot be on that. Some of you that are married, you know what I'm talking about. I know for a fact your spouse will not put up with you having a relationship with some other man or woman and trying to have a relationship with them. If they ain't no amens in this room, I got bigger worries. Somebody better say amen to that. <laughs> come on, if you <laughs> come on now. So get on yourself on this one. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. They're not going to put up with it. I can tell you, there's some 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 women. In, my wife, my wife is one come to my mind. We went and got our, our um, concealed carry permit a couple years ago now, and they make you see that this this target. I've done that before. They shoot this target. They can see if you can, you know, handle your gun basically. They have this little target on there, and that poor fella, um, Vanessa did her shooting, and he didn't get any hits in the heart. But let me tell you, that that fella would have walked out of there lame and with one eye before he took. And, and, side note, they had to count some of the holes a couple of times to get. But the point is, I, I'm not going to cross her because I can tell you, I might not die, but I will wish I was dead if I were to go down this down this path. We know that inherently, do we not? Within relationships, why do we think God's any different? In fact, why wouldn't we put God on a whole other level higher than we would our spouse? Because he's not going to put up with it any more than your wife or your husband will, sir or ma'am. He will not. He will not. We have to have spiritual thinking, thinking that instead of renewed by the world, renewed by the Spirit. It's 
Spirit of God connecting us to God's thinking, enjoying closeness, spending time, spending our energy, intimacy with God. Unfortunately, it's too many of us who are still living, still thinking, still choosing to do what we do based on what it feels like, what other people say about it, or whether or not it makes us comfortable. You, by doing that, you are making a choice instead of having spiritual thinking that lets you be close and intimate with the Lord, you are having worldly thinking that lets you be close and intimate with this world, and by doing so, you have chosen a path. You have chosen a path. And I can tell you, it is not friendship with the Lord, it is enmity with God. It is being against Him. The third point is that worldly thinking misses the truth of God. Verse 13. He's talking about the things that we know. He said in verse 12, those things that are freely given to us by God. He says in verse 13, which things, these things are, that are freely given to us by God, which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but with, with the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul's saying, listen, this, this thing about the cross, this message of the cross, it's not my idea. It's not my thing. I didn't come up with it. I didn't invent it. It's God's thing. God's idea. The Holy Spirit teaches this to me. Naturally, what he said, I'm going to give you to verse 14. He says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. See, this thing that the Spirit's been teaching, this whole thing with the message of the cross, the natural reaction for people is, Can I see it? Can I touch it? Can I smell it? Can I taste it? Can I put my hands on it? Can, can I, I can't understand it. So it's foolishness, is what he says. I don't get it. It's stupid. But he says he said in verse 14, he says they can't, they're foolishness in him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The only way to understand God's thing is through the Spirit teaching you God's thing. You don't logic your way to it. You don't calculate your way to it. You don't go and ask your friends, what do you think? And then maybe you end up, you don't do an opinion poll to end up there. The only way to end up to the place that says the cross is the only hope for humanity is the Holy Spirit has got to show that to you. So what, remember Peter and Jesus? Jesus asked him, you know, what, who do you think I am? And Peter thinks, I think you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, the only way you know that is because God showed you that. The only way you know that sort of thing. John said a similar thing in 1 John. He said, listen, the only way you know that it's the Spirit of God is when whenever you come to the place where you confess that Jesus is Lord, then you know that's the Holy Spirit teaching. The only way that comes is because it's the Spirit teaching. So the whole point of me trying to get this across to you is that if we don't have the Spirit teaching, that's we don't have this. He goes on and says in verse 15, that he that is spiritual judges or assesses or discerns all things, that he himself is judge of no man. You see, worldly thinking is actually anathema. It is Death is a church. You take away the Spirit's teaching from a church like Ellisburg Church. And we have no reason to look at the world and make any judgment about the world. This book is a pointless bunch of letters and pages if the Holy Spirit does not teach it to us. How many books are there in this world? How many ideas are there in this world? We're just one more of a thousand million billion. But if it's the Holy Spirit of God, then this is not this is not senseless. 
this is actually the most sensible thing in the world. But if I don't have the Holy Spirit teaching me to me, it's sensible thing. The cross is unappreciated. It's foolishness. It's sin, forgiveness, hope, and guilt. All those things, they're meaningless concepts apart from the Spirit of God. Here's the problem. That's where a lot of churches are. They're thinking worldly thinking. And you know what that makes the church? Nothing more than a social club ruled by personality, ruled by politics, and ruled by force. And y'all might like that at the Rotary Club or the Elks Club or wherever it is you're going. Y'all might like that. By the way, I'm a member of none of those because I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't even like it in my job. The Church of Jesus Christ, though, if it is taught by the Spirit, is not a social club ruled by politics, personality, and force. It is instead unified in the person of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit teaches us and our thinking is different. See, Christ's church needs to have spiritual thinking because the Holy Spirit will give us the equipment to see the world around us with the mind of God. Despite the world not appreciating us. What it says there in verse 15 says, You judge everything, but nobody judges you. Yeah, they don't appreciate you, but you can look out of the world through God's hands. But we have it, he says in verse 15, that he hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We have a mind of Christ that knows and understands and evaluates and feels the way God knows, understands, evaluates and feels. We have the mind of Christ that acts with selfless love, with sacrificial giving. That's what the mind of Christ looks like. You go to Philippians chapter 2. I won't make you turn there now, but read take it out on your own. Philippians 2, the mind of Christ there is where Jesus comes and He gives everything for the whole world. That's what we have. See, with His mind, then we can start meaningfully addressing some stuff. I know I'm at the end. Y'all got sick of me. Y'all got sick of me on this. Listen to me on this. There's a, there's a problem in the church world today. My opinion. My opinion. That's why I stay way over here. This is my opinion. This is my opinion. Way over here. The problem in the church world today, in my opinion, is that there are two schools of thought. One school of thought says, just preach the gospel and shut off about all these societal ills. Just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. I understand what they're saying. Don't get me wrong. I've just tried to preach this whole sermon series on preaching the gospel. But you understand what I'm trying to say? They're just saying, tell people that Jesus loves them and then God will sort them out in the end. There's another school of thought over here that says, no, 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 no. We've got to go and we've got to stop racism and we've got to stop poverty and we've got to get people out of the ditch and we've got to change with all this sort of thing. But what about the gospel? Well, we'll tell them Jesus loves them, but that's not our primary goal. Our primary goal is to fix the problems of the world. You have to understand that as a church who has the mind of Christ, who has a spiritual mind, we actually have a reason and a hope to address some things like abuse, divorce, addiction, sexual dysfunction, racism and discrimination, poverty and political corruption. We have a reason to say something about those. Not because we'd like our world to be a little better. No, 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 no. We have a lens through which we see the brokenness of the world. We understand the hope that's going to touch that. We know what we have. And so we can actually deal with things like racism and homosexuality, not instead of or in spite of the gospel, but through and because of the gospel. 
that Jesus' blood covers every sin, fixes everything that's broken, everything that's hurting. We have real hope for the people who are hopeless. We have real help for the people who are broken. This is not an either or, rather, it is an either or proposition. You either have God's thinking that actually helps some people, or you have this world thinking they might like you, but you ain't going to do any more good than those jokers that are in Congress right now. The good news, you like them, but I don't. But that's only possible if we have spiritual thinking. I said what I need to say. So I'm going to offer an invitation to you. I'm going to ask you to stand. The question is really, have you heard the Spirit speaking? I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I know you're, you're in the United States to go. I'm, I'm a little after 12. I'm going to tell you I'm 12 05, and I'm trying to wrap it up here. So y'all, y'all hang with me. The Presbyterians are already there. You'll be right, you'll be right behind them. I need you to think with me. I need you to listen with me. I need you to think with me. Has the Holy Spirit of God been talking to you at all in anything that's been said? You know, Matthew, I didn't like the way you said it. I'm sorry. I said the best I could. But I ain't worried about you to hear me. Did you hear what the Spirit is teaching you about anything? Is it maybe, is maybe He's asking you to believe God's plan of salvation if you've never been saved? Maybe that's what He's asking you to do. Why don't you come and repent of your sins and believe on the gospel? Maybe He's asking you to heed His call to get closer to Him and take away that junk food of the world's knowledge and just get a little more close and a little more intimate with the Lord. Maybe that's what He's calling you to do. Maybe He's asking you to assess the problems and the opportunities of the world around you, not through the lens of social justice or political solutions, but instead through the lens of the cross. Maybe that's what He's doing. I want to invite you to come and ask the Lord to do what He needs to do in your heart to don't you do that. God, the Spirit teach you. And to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head as I pray. Lord, you've got your word on these people. You've heard, you've spoken to your people. They've heard the scripture, and I hope they've heard a faithful, diligent explanation. But Lord, we just talked about how we can't do this without your spirit. You're going to have to come, and you're going to have to explain this to some people. You're going to have to move them. I'm asking you this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. If he plays, why don't you continue to keep your head bowed in your eyes? Why don't you come? Why don't you do some little bit of business with the Lord, as they say? Talk to him. Talk to him. You come on. You come on if he plays.